0: Hi, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming and having a little chat with us. Um, I just firstly wanted to ask, I can see that the team from pandemic periods are based across a diverse geographic uh, context around the world. How did members of pandemic periods all find each other? And so what was the starting point?
1: Thank you, Ellen. I just wanted to first say thank you so much for inviting me to be part of the podcast. I really appreciate it, and I know that the team are very excited to um, to have our agenda and our voice heard by your listeners. So I'm just going to take it a step back for a second. Um, in 2021, we finally got a comprehensive definition of menstrual health, which was published in the SRHR Matters journal. Uh, And they define menstrual health as a state of complete physical, mental, social well-being, not merely the absence of disease or infirmity in relation to menstrual cycle. So what I think is like really interesting about the work we do at Pandemic Periods is that when we talk about period poverty, the media has latched on to this like affordability aspect Mm. of period poverty, but it's so much more complex than that. Um, and we actually found that, like working across our diverse contexts, that period poverty can affect women, girls and anyone that menstruates anywhere at any time. Um, and when I'm talking about period poverty, I'm really talking about the action aid definition, which is a lack of access to menstrual products, safe hygienic spaces in which to use them and the right to manage menstruation without stigma or shame. Um, but I think this is also like really quite contentious term because the kind of use of the term poverty further perpetuates this this stigma and shame that we are really trying to address as a movement Mm. and it's also really associated with a lot of high income countries because the um, term itself was coined in Glasgow where I'm from so we that's why we tend to to use it Um, but it is gaining traction in other contexts Um, so back to what you're asking about pandemic periods we all came together because we really recognize that there was a bit of a challenge when it came to addressing menstrual health during this pandemic. And in the last two decades, there have been some gains made in the area, but as soon as COVID-19 came into the, you know, came into play, those were out the window. And although that we have seen some high-income countries like Scotland bring in policies and enshrine them in law during the pandemic, you know, there's uh, many other countries around the world that aren't really in that space. Uh, and even have period poverty and menstrual health on the agenda. So what we really wanted to do was to drive collective action around the Sustainable Development Goal 5, which is achieving gender equality to empower all women and girls, and also facilitate efforts to ensure that girls and women and all people that menstruate can manage their periods with dignity, which should help us attain the Sustainable Development Goal 3 of good health and well-being for all, especially within the context of COVID-19 and so we are a very diverse global collective of individuals from different contexts and backgrounds. We've come together because we really want to try and illuminate the challenges faced by individuals that are menstruating during this pandemic and we also recognize that there are different nuances in different geographies and we think it's really important that an individual from that geography is able to elevate their voice, the voice of their community so, that we are trying to kind of decolonize global health and work together to support each other.
0: Oh my goodness, thank you for taking us through that. And um, a lot of the times, this issue can become incredibly overwhelming and difficult. But how do you and the team
1: at pandemic period support action oriented advocacy across the different 10 countries you work in? Thanks, Christina. And yeah, that's a really good question because I mean, a lot of the times it is. There's a lot of big challenges out there, and uh, um, what we really want to kind of do is, of course, like just being kind of, you know, very kind of out there and thinking that we, we recognise that not all individuals that menstruate are women, and not all women menstruate. But that I still really want to highlight. Just impacted by this pandemic. And I think it's really important to understand how women and girls would, will be disproportionately impacted to give you an indication of how we kind of operate in our action-oriented advocacy activities. So we think about um, women being uh, having increased unpaid and underpaid work. They're often primary caregivers. A report by UN Women actually found clear evidence uh, that although both genders have unpaid work load increases during the pandemic, women are bearing most of the burden. There's also been increased rates of gender-based violence across multiple contexts. I know in my own context in Scotland, where I I live in Glasgow, um, and also across Scotland, the rates of um, increased gender-based violence reporting of 22.7% reported by Police Scotland in the first lockdown. Also, access to sexual reproductive health services has been compromised. 45% of local sexual reproductive health services in the UK were closed and provider capacity reduced by 80% during the pandemic. And I think... When we kind of put the whole um, picture of global menstruation uh, into context, we've got 800 million individuals menstruating every day. And yet menstruation is not recognised as a priority for women and girls or any individual that menstruates. So our global collective, um, we really try and raise the visibility of suboptimal menstrual health uh, through creative storytelling and advocacy. Um, And we also advocate for safe, affordable and hygienic products, discrete places and hygienic facilities so women and girls and all people that menstruate can manage their periods with dignity. Um, And I think that going back to the kind of action oriented advocacy and bringing people together, we have recognised, or we do recognise, that there are a lot of contextual and cultural nuances within each context, but a lot of the issues are the same. It's down to access to products, spaces to manage periods, time to manage periods, and... And also, free of stigma and shame, addressing stigma and shame within each context, which which can further perpetuate um, and confound some of these issues that we've experienced.
0: Absolutely. So we've already covered some of the biggest challenges that has been exacerbated by COVID-19, the the lack of access and space and time uh, to manage uh, menstruation what are some of the ways you've ignited action around menstrual health in the context of COVID-19 when gender equality issues are being di- uh, are being deprioritized? De-
1: <laughs> yeah Ellen I think that that's um it's something that's also been quite challenging because we know that as I said you know women are disproportionately impacted and a lot of the time when we talk, when we look at responses, we look at responses, global health security responses, responses to the COVID-19 pandemic, they're designed in a way that favours men because we kind of really live in a world that is designed to favour men. So we're fighting this uphill battle constantly. And during the G7 uh, summit, Prime Minister Boris Johnson actually stated that he wanted to build back and have a uh, COVID response that was gender neutral. And that of course favours men. And I think with menstruation, when it's not prioritised, we do have a dearth of understanding around the importance of gender transformative responses that support women and girls to fully participate in life. Um, and this is something that we want to address as a collective. And it's something that we do address in our in our advocacy campaigns and efforts. Um, we think it is still very important to be objective, though, because there's a lot of a lot going on right now with everybody, and everyone is acutely aware of their health of global health, probably for the first time in in some people's lifetimes, which is an opportunity to highlight some of these issues, but you're in a very busy room right now, and we really try and work with each country to highlight you know again the nuances of each context and um, and then support each other through collective action so that they can identify the similarities in each context and unite change um together as a group. And I also think for some of the contexts that we work in, we're quite lucky in the UK that we can have these types of conversations. We're lucky in Scotland that period poverty, that menstrual health has been on the agenda of our politicians. And there has been a crossover from this kind of technocratic, academic research focus on menstrual health to the wider advocacy um, landscape, and not just advocacy landscape for gender equality, everybody And people are more willing to talk about it. But in some of the contexts we work in, menstrual health is not really, not even understood, not talked about at all. So that when it comes to, sorry, hold on. No,
0: no worries. Your dog clearly agrees.
1: Okay, so what we've also really tried to focus on as a collective is identifying some of the issues that maybe are not always recognised in the menstrual health space or prioritised because... If you actually look at a lot of the programmes, uh, a lot of the policies, they're focused on adolescent girls and that's fantastic. Obviously, suboptimal menstrual health is an important thing to address in school age girls so that it prevents school dropout, so they can fully engage with their education and so they can stay in school and we can support more women to move into the workplace. But one of the things that we seem to forget is that when uh, girls leave school, they're still going to be menstruating. And we really need this like, life course approach to addressing menstrual health. So one of the things that we've tried to focus on in some of the um, contexts that we're working in is creating gender responsive workplaces, optimised menstrual health. And what I kind of mean by that is that, you know, really menstrual health is fundamental to equality, dignity and rights of all individuals that menstruate. And they should not have to suffer the indignity of not having their basic needs met in the workplace. So we really think it's time to address some of the stigma and shame relating to mental health in the workplace by providing spaces, products, just, um, places to dispose of, of used products and also addressing the stigma and shame in the workplace as well. Now we always like joke and I can also remember when I was working in an office in London like smuggling products to the toilet as if it was like this kind of inconspicuous deal you know it was it was also, it was always very hush-hush. Um, and I think that that's really interesting because that's in a high-income context where women have the agency to be able to choose the products they want. They have access to the products that they need. Um, they have uh, water and sanitation facilities. They have access to discrete disposal. And they generally have uh, enough information so that they can you know manage their periods appropriately. But yet we're still not talking about periods in the workplace. And I think that's quite interesting. Um, so, in some of our contexts, we've been trying to address that. We also have um, tried to recruit individuals with a spectrum of experience and intergenerational um, individuals, and also thinking about intersectional views of menstruation and kind of bringing what we think is um, innovative and diverse perspectives to our campaign. So, we um, have got individuals that are from the um, master's level, kind of doing their master's all the way up to individuals that are more established and we all kind of learn from each other. And one of the things that we think that strengthens is we want to think about building a multicultural, multi-contextual collective that elevates grassroots voices to support advocacy in local contexts, but also gives individuals that are just kind of starting out in this field the opportunity to learn from other people within the sector because we understand that working in global health working in advocacy and gender equality it's good good to have a network to have people to be able to mentor you to have people to, to keep you right and that's something that we've tried to focus on um as part of our um of our advocacy and advocacy initiatives is supporting women to be able to get this experience that they need so they can further their uh, their cv to further their experience in the in the field but we also advocate for um thinking about menstrual health um, independently of sexual and reproductive health rights because we really want some multilateral organisations to have teams dedicated to menstrual health so that they can understand fully the complexities of what we are, we're talking about. When we talk about menstrual health, we talk about PUA poverty. Um, we need to have different initiatives to prioritise this because if it's not going to be prioritised by these policy-making multilaterals that advise 194 member states... Then how are we going to push to to get it on each individual um, agenda of each individual government? So we try. That's the kind of global things that we do. In context, we are collecting different stories because we want to develop personas, personas that bring a voice, that bring uh, a real life experience to some of the challenges that we are seeing. For example, um our correspondent in Bangladesh, he's been working with Rohingya Muslims and there's um been a lot of challenges around access to products, spaces to be able to manage periods with dignity and discreetly, and also access to sanitation facilities, running water, etc. Um, how do you then dispose of these products? How do you dispose of them in a refugee camp where there's no municipal services, um, there's there's no way to do it, are they being burned? you know, are they going to bury them? Um, Are they just going to be cast aside? Are they going to be polluting water? So it's really interesting when we think about these elements, um, the environmental cost of of products and, and supporting it, which is, we can go into a bit later, but something that we also want to consider uh, within our context in the UK. And um, we've been doing some work around trying to find out the experiences of healthcare workers. So, In the UK, 77%, I think in Scotland, actually, of the NHS workers are women, around 77%. Globally, 70%, almost 70% of the global health workforce are women, yet personal protective equipment is not designed for them. And this means that they can't manage their periods appropriately. And we have a global shortage of personal protective equipment, and yet every time somebody needs to change their period products, they will have to dispose of some of it because they can't get in to manage their periods of dignity. And they also don't have the time because they're working in a really intense environment right now in the COVID-19 response on the front line and our health and social care workers are not being protected. They're not having their dignity preserved. So in the UK and Scotland, we've been trying to focus on finding some stories and finding personas that actually give you an idea and an indication of these challenges which are something that is often just thought of as something you just go on with as a healthcare professional, as a woman, as an individual that menstruates. And it's it's something that we've been trying to eliminate as a challenge and something that needs to be addressed moving forward so that we can ensure that everybody can participate in the healthcare workforce, and the social care workforce to the best of their ability. So those are just some of the, the we do various other um initiatives in different contexts and we're trying to focus on different areas. Each context that we work in, we're looking at a different challenge um, and trying to illuminate that challenge through storytelling, creative communications and advocacy. Um, But those are just a few examples of what we've done so far.
0: (laughs) It is incredible. Um, You've already talked about a lot of the missions and initiatives that you've got going on. And
1: this might be a bit of a difficult question, because as we're all realising, the further we get into this pandemic, the more unexpected it seems to become. But what do you see as the future of pandemic periods post-pandemic as much as you? Thanks, Christina. And yes, I think you're spot on with saying that the further we get in, the further we realise that we have to go. And I do think that unfortunately, we are quite a long way off before we can start to address um, post-pandemic periods. But I also Mm. think that you know we've have got unfortunately there's still so much work to be done in mon- menstrual health not only in the UK but worldwide and we will continue to work together to raise uh, awareness for these challenges and I think even just to put things into context you know in Scotland we had the um, period products free provision bill enshrined in law in November twenty twenty it was then transitioned into an act in January February twenty twenty one but it's not going to be implemented for a further two years. So one of the things that we want to ensure is that yeah yeah I know it's like it's it will be but I mean we also do appreciate that there is a bit of a process when it comes to transitioning things from law into into practice well law to program to practice policy to program to practice really and I think it's really it's interesting because you want to ensure that there's not a disconnect between policymakers programmers and practitioners and there really needs to be this understanding of why this. Policy is important. It needs to be internalised. People need to believe in it. And I think that that's what we're kind of trying to do. That's one of our ethos um, our ethos as a collective is that we don't just want people to do, make tokenistic policies or tokenistic programmes or promises. We actually want there to be a societal change. And societal within the UK, societal within Europe, global, there needs to be global recognition that this is something that needs to be addressed.
0: So, are there any projects, campaigns or events you would like to bring up for our listeners?
1: Yes, Ellen, I think there is an incredibly important event that we need to um, be supporting and advocating for um, over the next couple of days, actually. So the UN Women and the Government of France are working together to host the Generation Equality Forum in Paris, which actually kicks off tomorrow and runs for a couple of days. Registration is still open and it's completely free and the Generation Equality Forum is basically the 26 years since the Beijing Declaration and the um, platform for action for the rights of women and girls and the reason that that was was brought together all all those years ago was to elevate the voice of and elevate gender equality within a global stage. It was supposed to be last year, but obviously it was delayed during, due to COVID. And over the course of the next couple of days, there'll be, um, there'll be lots of events that people can get involved in online, which is brilliant. Uh, one of the, the positives that has come out of this COVID-19 pandemic is a lot of these events that were probably quite exclusive previously have now transitioned into a virtual space. So they can be accessed by anybody. Um, we've actually, as a collective, made a commitment to the Generation Equality Forum, and we have committed to continue to support women and girls to gain further experience in the sector, um, also to expose them to global health, menstrual health, gender equality and advocacy. And we want to work very closely with our early career team members to develop and co-develop further training modules to support their professional development. And we've also committed to continuing to collaborate with partners to deliver action-oriented gender transformative campaign advocacy campaigns for menstrual health, across the life course, from Menarche to menopause, and across all genders, across education and across workplaces. Uh, this is something that we want to uphold over the next couple of years. And we will work as a, a collective to make sure that we are delivering on it. And it will also be published by the UN Women um, on their Generation Equality Forum website. But I think that this is something that is, is very pinnacle. It's a really important um, point in the quest for gender equality. We know that In one year, so since um, 2020, between 2020 and 2021, the time it's going to take to close the gender gap has increased by 36 years. And that's crazy. I saw that on
0: your Instagram and that absolutely shocked me.
1: I mean, it's completely shocking. And I think it just highlights that over the last two decades, all the gains that we've made for gender equality are going to be compromised. And that is... Something that we really have got to got to think of as as a society, and although that we have a lot of gender transformative policies in Scotland and in the UK, we have a a, a place that you could say no country has reached gender equality. Even places like Finland, where I used to live, but mm. you, the the gap now is is widening, and I think they, they stated it be one hundred and thirty five years before we actually reach gender equality that
0: is absolutely crazy
1: yeah so i i think that also for this forum what's really interesting about it as well is again we have menstruation grouped into sexual reproductive health and that is is quite a challenge if you actually look at the sexual reproductive health initiative that they have highlighted because they have various commitments that you can make and they're addressing various themes within the kind of wider context of gender equality sexual reproductive health is one yet menstruation is not actually it is not noted on this agenda and I know that the World Health Organization have made a commitment to furthering furthering menstrual health Uh, we actually even had to go back to them and say they'd said menstrual hygiene and management and we said no it has to be menstrual health now we need to take the stigma out of these words we need to stop using sanitary we need to stop saying hygiene we need to stop you know using management call it what it is so it's it's a challenge um because that kind of also further um exemplifies the how it's prioritized within even gender equality um we need to we need to get it onto the agenda. It is on It is on agendas, it's on the agenda of a lot of multilaterals and organisations, predominantly for adolescent health or for women in crisis situations, humanitarian um, situations, emergencies. But we are in an emergency right now, we are in a global health emergency and it's time that menstrual health was built into global health security, provision for menstrual health, it was recognised by education facilities not just by governments putting in initiatives into education schools and it was something that was prioritized by workplaces because if we want women in the workplace if we want women to fully contribute to society and girls to be able to move into leadership along the the line of their career as we move forward as we start to build back better post-pandemic menstrual health needs to be prioritized it needs to be addressed and we need to focus. We need initiatives, and we need support, both yeah. globally and locally. Thank you
0: so much. It's been so good to talk to you and hear about all of the amazing work that pandemic periods are doing. Um, it's it's just so nice to hear another organisation that we all completely agree with here at Periodic Chats.